Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. On the day President Trump is set to deliver his first State of the Union address, we'll talk politics with Deseret News columnist LeVar Webb and Frank Pignanelli. We're going to talk about the State of the Union and the State of the State. We'll look ahead to the November elections and ask if there will be a Democratic wave and change in control of the U.S. House of Representatives. Will Mitt Romney run for U.S. Senate? What are the prospects for Medicaid expansion at the 2018 Utah Legislature? We'll talk about much more, and uh, we'll talk about what you would like to talk about. Uh, the uh, way to contact us, upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. Republican LeVar Webb is a political consultant and lobbyist. Previously, he was a policy deputy to Governor Mike Levitt and Deseret News Managing Editor. And uh, we welcome him back to the program. Thanks. Good to be here. Uh, Democrat Frank Pignanelli is a Salt Lake attorney, lobbyist, and political advisor. He served uh, 10 years in the Utah House of Representatives and six years as minority leader. Uh, Frank Pignanelli, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, let's start with the State of the Union. Now, let me start with Frank Pignanelli. Uh, what do you hope President uh, Trump says tonight? Oh, my. It's, it's <laughs> I hope for unicorns and rainbows because... If you look at the traditional media across the country, other than maybe Breitbart, the hope is this, 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 there's so much animosity in Washington, whether it's over the Russia investigation, the government shutdown, immigration. Please, please, President Trump, take the opportunity to do some things to, out, to reach out to others beyond, beyond your base. Uh, to me, this may be the most important speech of his presidency, other than some national emergency, because this will demonstrate, is he willing to move beyond Steve Bannon? Is he willing to put together an immigration proposal where it satisfies DACA and perhaps some security issues and forget about the other stuff? Is he willing to uh, reach out, uh, whether it's infrastructure and things like that, or is he going to play to the base again? To me, the hope is that he really tries to push through and expand uh, his outreach to others other than the, the, the Banyan base. LeVar, LeVar Webb, uh, what do you hope the president says tonight? Well, I agree with Frank. Uh, I expect that he will attempt to do those kinds of things. All of the reports out of his administration are that he's going to uh, present a, a positive speech and stick to the teleprompter. Uh, and I'm sure that he will talk about his successes, what he perceives as his successes with regard to the economy and so forth, and then also lay out the uh, priorities for the next year, including immigration and infrastructure. So uh, I, you know, I, I expect he will, yeah, I mean, you, you never know what, what he will say or do, but I, I expect it will be a positive speech. LeVar Webb, and then I'll ask Frank Pugnelli this, we're a year in uh, to the Trump presidency, I wonder how you would assess things. Uh, on one end, Senator Hatch says he has the chance to be one of our great presidents. Many Democrats would say something diametrically opposed to that. What do you think? Well, I think as a sort of a mainstream Republican, mainstream conservative, I think you have to separate the the man and his personality and his erraticism and his vulgarity uh, from the policy that he is uh, pushing. And, uh, and on the policy front, I think a lot of Democrats do, excuse me, a lot of Republicans do agree with him that the tax reform was a very positive step for the country and for the economy. And, and uh, 
I think, a more muscular foreign policy. A lot of people, a lot of Republicans agree with him. There are some people that just cannot get past the personality side of it and and re- will not refuse to give him credit for anything else. Personally, I don't I don't like him. I don't like him. Uh, I don't like his the way he operates, the way he acts. But I do support a lot of his policies. I don't agree with him on immigration and on international trade, but on a lot of other things, I, I do agree with him. So you have to. For those who can separate the policy from the individual, from the personality, I think he's had a pretty successful first year. Frank Pignanelli, same question to you. What uh, what kind of marks would you give President Trump on year one? You know, my problem, if you look at it technically in terms of passing the tax reform, in terms of accomplishing his administration goals of deregulating some parts of the economy, yes, he is successful. The problem has been his personality, and it's more than just him being, you know, uh, self-centered or whatever, because most presidents are self-centered. It really is uh, the comments that stirring up racial divide, that religious divide, things like that. That that it, it, he has taken that to such a new level that it's hard not to judge any other accomplishments without attaching that to it. You know, that's why uh, Republicans have had to play this dance of, well, we like the, you know, like what he's doing, but we don't like the man because. It just it's becoming more and more difficult for Americans who if you look at how they support the DACA, over eighty percent want to take care of these DACA children. That's where Americans are. Americans don't want this 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 baiting uh that that's happening. And it and so he could he could, he could even though the economy's roaring and even though he's accomplished some things, that's why his approvals are still so dismal because that's not where Americans are. So this isn't just some comment or something, it seems to characterize his his administration. The problem is this. These are not just the comments that are picked up, you know, uh, for example, uh, by Lee. These are what his, this is what he's tweeting. We now know what the thoughts of the thoughts of this man. So it is blemishing his record. And he, and he and his supporters are going to have to deal with that. I want to take a look ahead to um, perhaps way too early predictions. Um, for, for, you know, November. We are in 2018 now, so getting a little closer. I want to start with, and I'll start with this with Frank Pignanelli, um, does Mitt Romney run for Senate? Does he win? And uh, what? Uh, how will he operate in the Senate? <laughs> I have to laugh. <laughs> he runs. Oh, yeah, he wins. <laughs> he wins big. In fact, even, you know, we can talk about this later in the program, even if there's this blue wave that some are talking about, it won't hit Utah. I mean, Mitt Romney will bring out, uh, and there's, there's some interesting dynamics, he's going to bring out probably a surge of voters, of baby uh, Republicans and independents who did not vote, and, he, and even some independents and Republicans who had some issues with Trump. They're going to come out and vote for Mitt, because number one, they like Mitt. Secondly, it's their chance to uh, fulfill what they thought should have happened in 20, uh, 2012. And then, and then, I think a lot of people say he's he's the one guy that stand has a national presence kind of Trump. So I think it's if he's on the ballot, it's more than he just wins. He, I think it's it, it's he pushes back against any blue wave that may be happening across the country. Lebar Webb, but same questions: does does he run? Does he win? And and uh, what do you think his purpose is? Does he want to be that counterbalance to to Trump? What what does he want? 
Yeah, so so I I I think he does run, and I think he wins. I think it's uh, kind of silly that he's waited so long to announce. Uh, we we don't know exactly when he he will. We keep expecting it'll be within the next week, but then it doesn't happen. Uh, obviously, he needs time to gather signatures and so forth, and and uh, so he he can't wait too long to announce. Frank has said in the past that maybe he has has to deal with some corporate boards he's on or in disentangle himself from businesses or whatever before he announces and that's taking some time but i think it's rather ridiculous that he isn't already a candidate but uh, so yeah I, I think he will easily win i think that he a lot of people are expecting and hoping that he will be the anti-trump that he will be the the moral voice in the in the u.s senate and and, and oppose trump I, I i don't think he will play that role I think he will be a little bit like me and a lot of a lot of more mainstream Republicans that that he 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 will speak up when Trump does something improper, vulgar, uh, whatever. I mean, and and Romney has spoken up on those things in the past, but I think he will try to get along with Trump and support Trump when he agrees uh, on on policy, and there there will be a lot of agreement uh, on those things. So I think he will be, a, in some ways, a national senator, a, a, a voice. Uh, he, he will have a big bully pulpit. I think the news media will go to him frequently and quote him. And so I, I do think he will have an outsized uh, presence in the U.S. Senate. Let me start with LeVar, LeVar Webb with this question, kind of a follow-up. Um, what is the proper response, do you think, as a especially a Republican in the Senate or the or the House, uh, to Trump? Um Especially if you're in this bind, do you agree with some of the policies which you are are off put and feel like Trump is smashing norms and uh, and and doing some bad things on the personality side? I'll frame this with with you know Jeff Flake, um, who <laughs> read the tea leaves and with his opposition to Trump uh, determined he could not win the primary, and uh, therefore he's not running uh, again. Uh, it's, it seems like a, a kind of a Kind of a hard, some hard choices. What's the proper response to that? Yeah, yeah. So Flake has become really the anti-Trump and is very, very outspoken in in his criticism of of Trump. I don't think Romney will be that way. And and of course, Flake uh, is has the freedom to do that because he's not running for re-election, and and so he doesn't have to face the realities. Part of the the challenge that with Romney and with Republicans in Congress is if Trump loses, particularly on the policy front, then the Democrats win. Uh, Nancy Pelosi and and uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, uh, you know, that side wins. And and I don't, personally, I do not want the country to go back to, in, to move back in a very liberal direction where government is expanding and regulation is expanding and the economy is doing poorly. And so... That's part of the the dilemma is that if you defeat Trump and if Trump loses, then then where, what is the alternative? Where does the country go? And there isn't that middle ground, uh, seemingly that that either side is willing to rally around. So so I I think uh, uh, I I think Romney will uh, I, I I think he can be a, an influence to bring people together, but I think he will be supportive of Trump when their policy interests align. Frank Piccinelli, what what is the proper response to Trump if you are a national Republican? The, the problem that, that is is that uh, 
Republicans do like the agenda. But, you know, if they're smart, they need to play for the long game. And the long game is this. Uh, in 2020, over a third of the voting population will be millennials. Millennials may actually share some of the uh, overarching reliefs of Republicans in terms of effective government and, you know, things like that. But they do not tolerate intoleration. They will not allow uh, government to be um, an enemy to people of racial or sexual orientation diversity. It, it, they're, just, they're not going to allow it. And so what I see happening are, are there's some of these leaders who, who, who agree with Trump's principles, but they're not, in my opinion, doing enough for their own benefit, the benefit of the Republican Party, to distance themselves and to, to articulate where they are. Now, you do have some that are different, like Lindsey Graham or something like that, but they're not doing enough. And so I, it's, it's a short-term gain because, uh, depending what happens in the economy, it could benefit the Republicans in the 2018 and 2020 uh, elections. But the long-term is is that they need to be sensitive that the country is changing. The, 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 the Steve Bannon types, it's, it's, it's a minority that is shrinking every day. Uh, and so I think with careful messaging, they could, they could appease to you know, the former blue-collar Democrats, who in many ways, you know, were, you know, have relied on Trump because they felt like they'd be left out. They can express that concern, but they've got to stay away from the race baiting and the attacks on, on, on individuals because of sexual orientation or ethnicity, especially with the Me Too movement. These statements that, that, that Trump is making about women and things like that, they have to distance themselves from. And I don't see them doing enough to do uh, on that. Uh, so, Frank Pignanelli, uh, prediction. Uh, will this be a wave election? Uh, and, and you made a good point earlier. This, you know, if, if there is a wave, it's not going to come to Utah. But nationally, is this a wave election? And does the House, National House, change hands? Uh, if you went by history, you would say this is a wave election because it's a midterm election. If you go by enthusiasm of voters, uh, Democrats are enthusiastic. If you go by the experts, they're also all predicting a blue wave. I will add a caveat because I'm a try to be a political scientist. The, many of these experts are predicting the blue wave. Also predicted the blue wall in 2016 that there was no way a Democrat could lose. <laughs> so, so the one thing we learned from 2016 is that the uh, demographics are changing and and the realignment of the parties is changing. And so it, it's it's in my opinion it's much riskier to make predictions as far out. If the economy is still booming in in October of 2018, and the tax reform has, has, has been demonstrated to work, then, you know, I don't, I'm not sure you're going to, you know, I still think the Republicans take hits in the House, but I'm not sure it flips. And I'm just saying that because it's harder to predict uh, what's happening there. And so uh, a lot's going to depend upon the economy or some other natural crisis. But if this Russia thing goes south uh, for Trump, and, and the, the stock market drops, and more importantly, uh, the tax reform uh, does not seem to impact as many people. There could be a blue wave. But again, you can't predict it this far out, in my opinion, because there's still a lot of factors that are yet to come. LeVar Webb, uh, is there a blue wave, and does the House change hands? Well, I, I agree with what Frank said, uh, and it will a lot will depend on the economy. I uh, certainly, the Republicans are going to lose uh, some House seats. Uh, if they didn't, they, it would uh, run against uh, history dramatically. I and mean, if you look at the Obama midterm elections, he lost uh, a, a lot of seats, in fact, lost control of the House uh, uh, in, after his first two years. And 
So tr- traditionally, certainly the party out of power does pick up seats. Uh, I uh, Some of it will depend on Trump himself, if he can tone down uh, his rhetoric and and listen to his reasonable advisors and and uh, and stop alienating. I fully agree with Frank on the fact that he has un- completely unnecessarily alienated a lot of uh, minority groups and women and and uh, so forth. If he can tone that down, that will certainly help. Uh, he's not going to the the Democrats, especially the the liberal Democrats, are still going to be. Um, totally opposed to him and, and his policies and will will vigorously uh, run, run against him, even even if he tries to, to tone things down. But uh, so I it, it is impossible to predict at this point, but I would expect the Democrats to pick up significant numbers of House seats and uh, come very close to winning the Senate. Uh, there, there are a lot of Republican House members that are simply retiring uh, out of, especially in some of those swing districts. And so I think things are at this point looking pretty good for the Democrats. I wouldn't be surprised if the Republicans barely hang on to power. If you just joined us, we're talking politics ahead of President Trump's State of the Union address tonight. You can hear that on UPR. We'll have full NPR coverage uh, beginning at uh, 7 o'clock this evening, 7 o'clock tonight, uh, President uh, Trump's State of the Union. We'll have the Democratic response, and we'll have analysis as well, 7 o'clock tonight. And we're talking with uh, LeVar Webb and Frank Pignanelli. They jointly write a column for the Deseret News. And uh, so LeVar Webb is a Republican, uh, Frank Pignanelli a Democrat. Um, and I want to talk about polarization, but uh, let me start with uh, kind of a mirror question to the one I asked earlier. I'll start with LeVar Webb on this. Um, I, I asked earlier about Republicans' response. Um, what about uh, national Democrats? Is is there a danger of uh, Trump derangement syndrome and, and uh, maybe counterproductive um, continuing rage against the president, although, you know, some Democrats would say it's totally justified. Um, what should the Democrats' response be? Well, there, there is that. I think there is that danger. There are a number of Democrats that are boycotting the speech, and, and uh, I, I think that's counterproductive. Uh, if the, the problem is that, that Trump continues to give them ammunition to be express this absolute total outrage, uh, but some of them do go certainly go overboard, and some of the pundits uh, on MSNBC and and uh, uh, CNN also go overboard on their on their outrage and, and criticism. Uh, if if Trump would uh, would be more reasonable, I think they would still act the same way they do, and and that would turn off Americans, but because Trump continues to give them reason to act that way, it is it is less so. But the, the, the problem is that the, the Trump true believers, and I, and I do think he has lost some support even in his base, but the Trump true believers uh, are sticking with him through thick and thin, and uh, I, I think this next year, uh, he... He has to shore up that base again and bring back some of those some of those people that have been disaffected uh, by him. But I do think there is a danger of Democrats overreacting. The other challenge for Democrats is who is the who who is the leader of their party? Who 
can win the presidency uh, against Trump in the the, um, the next presidential election. They they really have not identified that leader that can really bring them together. Frank Pignanelli, danger of Democratic uh, overreaction? And uh, a good question that LeVar posed, who, who do you think will emerge as the leader? Reaction is a danger in the sense that if, if, if you obsess with that, with just constantly responding to Trump, you, you're, you don't articulate uh, your own message of how you want to deal with issues. Just raging against Trump is not enough because if the economy is sound, and this is why I said what I did earlier in the program, if the economy is sound and all you've done is rage against Trump, then you're not really giving voters a choice. What you have to do is say, yes, distance yourself from Trump and those comments, but at the same time offer an alternative. And what I worry, and, and I don't see that really happening. I mean, some might claim it is, but it really is not. It, it, no one leader's punching through with some alternatives to this. You know, Schumer tries. The reason why Trump got elected is because you had independents and even some Democrats really frustrated with Washington. And the more you look like Washington, the more it's better for Trump, because Trump is the guy that attacks both Republicans and Democrats when things are stalled in Washington. And so if the Democrats look like they're just part of that Washington elite, it, it, it's bad for them. And that's why, you know, the left Democrats are attacking the, the Democrats for, for stopping the government shutdown. They had to. Nothing irritates Americans more than, than a dysfunctional Washington. What the Democrats need to project is, yes, we're concerned with Trump, but they need to project that they're in touch with uh, middle America, middle-income America. And it's more than just a speech. They need to be articulating programs, they need to be articulating things that help that. Because that way, it shows that they're in touch. So, just, so the danger of overreach for Trump is it clouds out their message. Trump is clouding his message and the message of Republicans with the tweets. The Democrats are clouding their message, and so they need to do is, 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 is have exercise more discipline. So when people vote in November, they know what they're voting for and not what they're voting against. I know. Uh, Frank, um, one other. Yeah, go ahead. Um, one other quick point. One other quick point on that: the Democrats are in danger of promoting identity politics too much. Uh, certainly Trump has given them reason to do that and you know, with some of his racist statements and so forth. But if it's just all about us poor black people, us poor Hispanics, us poor immigrants, us poor women, and that's all it is, that turns off an awful lot of Americans. We just have a couple minutes left with uh, Frank Fignanelli. He has to, uh, to go here, and then we'll spend the rest of the hour uh, with uh, LeVar Webb. Um, so let me pose this question first to you, uh, Frank, and, and ask uh, both to be brief on this, and then we'll take a break. Uh, uh, this is an email that's come in from Steve. He says, there's an enormous barrier which must be overcome for a blue wave to ensue. The thorough job Republicans have done gerrymandering the nation. What do you think, Frank Fignanelli? Well, it is interesting. You've heard all this concern about the gerrymandering uh, that's occurred, and now all of a sudden you don't hear about it anymore because it's about the blue wave. It, it's still uh, you still have to consider that the, 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 you know, a majority of the state legislatures are in Republicans' hands, and they've drawn the districts that way. However, I was looking at a poll that concerned with Trump. If you now analyze it by congressional districts, has risen in, 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 inside individual districts. The other thing that's, uh, that's happened is a number of incumbent Republicans are retiring this year. That makes it harder uh, for to take advantage of the, the districts that, that are supposedly gerrymandered. It's a consideration, but I do find it interesting 
that a number of national experts no longer really are calculating it into their analysis. So uh, we'll have to see. I, I still think uh, the lines being drawn is an issue that could prevent a substantial blue wave. And, 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 and so that what happens then is the Republicans, and normally vote Republican, if it's a good economy, they're likely to stay home. And, and, and when I say stay home, they vote Republican. LeVar Webb, what do you think about this? Will uh, gerrymandering um, inhibit a blue wave? That will that will certainly be a factor. Ten years ago, when the lines were drawn, Republicans did not have as strong a control strong control on state legislatures as they do now. Uh, and so, the Democratic states gerrymandered to favor Democrats, and Republican states gerrymandered to uh, favor Republicans. And so, so uh, many many Democratic districts and Republican districts are are uh, impervious to. Uh, switching over because of that, uh, but it isn't as it isn't all is in favor of the Republicans as some people would have. On one, uh, I think. Well, let's uh, take a break. Uh, we'll uh, say goodbye to Frank Pignanelli. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Um, and when we come back, we'll uh, continue with uh, Lavar Webb. And uh, with you, hopefully, uh, we'd love to get your perspective. What do you think the president should say in the State of the Union? What do you think the State of the Union is or the State of the State? Um, and we'll get to talking about some issues at the state legislature. We'll uh, ask LeVar Webb to make some uh, additional predictions on some uh, statewide races or congressional races uh, coming up. Uh, the way to get to us is upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. More following this break. LIDAR stands for Light Detection and Ranging. This laser technology scans the surface of the Earth to reveal vivid 3D pictures. In 2012, archaeologists strapped a LIDAR system to the bottom of a small airplane and flew over a swath of dense rainforest in Central America, searching for a lost city. The LIDAR system penetrated the thick forest canopy and reached down to the jungle floor, generating an image of the outlines of ancient structures, the remnants of a forgotten civilization. Electrical and computer engineering researchers at Utah State University are making LIDAR systems less expensive and opening new opportunities for the technology to be used in agricultural research, space exploration, and autonomous vehicles. Support on Utah Public Radio for Creating Tomorrow is provided in part by our members and the College of Engineering at Utah State University with graduate and undergraduate degrees in electrical and computer engineering. Information at engineering.usu.edu. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Association for Utah Community Health, providing support for health centers throughout Utah, such as Community Health Centers Incorporated and Enterprise Valley Medical Clinic. Information available at auch.org. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. President Trump delivers his State of the Union address tonight. You can hear that on Utah Public Radio, 7 o'clock tonight. We're talking politics on this occasion with uh, Deseret News columnist LeVar Webb. We had his colleague Frank Pignatelli on with us in the first half of the program. We're talking about State of the Union, State of the State. We're looking ahead to the November elections, and uh, we're going to be getting into talking about some uh, uh, issues at the Utah legislature. For example, what are the prospects for Medicaid expansion at uh, this year's legislature? Uh, Republican LeVar Webb is a political consultant and lobbyist. Previously, he was policy deputy to Governor Mike Levitt and Deseret News managing editor. Um, and uh, he is publisher of Utah Policy Daily. You can find that at utahpolicy.com. 
So, LeVar Webb, uh, before we leave uh, gerrymandering or redistricting, um, some people uh, continue to push for a redistricting commission, an independent redistricting or bipartisan redistricting commission in Utah. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so if, if that group, uh, I think it's called Better Boundaries, <clears throat> or if it's able to uh, gather enough signatures to get on the ballot, and that's a very difficult uh, uh, task in, in Utah, uh, then voters will be able to, to decide whether we create an independent redistricting commission uh, to propose uh, boundaries for congressional races and uh, legislative races and school board races and so forth. So uh, so that will be uh, very interesting. Uh, it, as I said, it's, it's difficult to get on the ballot because of the number of signatures that have to be required to, to, to be uh, obtained all across the state. Uh, by According to Utah's Constitution, only the legislature can... Uh, do the redistricting. It, it is a legislative function, and so the what this this commission would do is is recommend boundaries to the legislature. But the way the law is written, it would put some restrictions on what the legislature can do. Uh, it, it would have to vote uh, those boundaries just up and up or up or down, and and put some other restrictions on the legislature. But but it would only be advisory because, according to the Constitution, uh, the legislature alone has the authority to do the redistricting. Mm. Uh, Steve has written back in. Uh, he uh, is quoting a Business Insider article, and he quotes from it, The analysis found four times as many states with Republican-skewed state house or assembly districts than Democratic ones. Among the two dozen most populated states that determined the vast majority of Congress, there were nearly three times as many Republican-tilted uh, U.S. House districts. Uh, responding to uh, comments earlier in the program. Um, let me quote uh, LeVar Webb from uh, uh, a recent column. This is October, well, not that recent, but relatively recent. Uh, Deseret News column uh, written by you and uh, Frank Pignanelli. I'll just quote the uh, first paragraph here. A record number of meaningful ballot measures have been proposed for voters to approve or reject in the 2018 election. The proposals would boost taxes for education, create a district primary election system, allow use of marijuana for medical purposes, create an independent commission to propose election district boundaries, and expand Medicaid coverage to more low-income Utahns. These measures raise interesting questions. So that is, uh, I think, an unusual number. Do you think any of these passes? Yes, it is. It is an unusual number, and there is actually now a sixth one, at least has been proposed. I don't know if they are officially moving forward with signature gathering, but that is the one that kind of the anti Count my vote uh, proposal that would uh, return Utah's election process to the caucus convention system exclusively and not allow uh, people, not allow candidates to gather signatures to get on the ballot. So that's even a, a, a further one. So uh, it, it is it is interesting that there are so many, and all of these are substantive. They're not uh, superficial. Uh, uh, sorts of proposals. They are all very meaningful. They're all things that the legislature has grappled with in the past and has has not passed, has not approved. And so, there are citizen groups who who are saying we need to take these things into our own hands. Uh, so that so whether they will pass or not is is a two 
two-step thing. First, they have to get on the ballot, and that requires 113,000 signatures gathered in, what, what is it, 24 or 25 of the 29, 26 of the 29 uh, Senate districts in the in the in the state and uh you really very difficult to do that with volunteers it almost always requires uh the citizens group to to hire professional signature gatherers and it costs uh you know three quarters of a million dollars or or even more so it depends on the group's fundraising capacity and uh and uh even to get it on the on the ballot, it's it's not a matter of just how many people support it. So uh, there are some some of those uh, we we could go through them one by one. I don't even I know if I can even remember all of them. You might have to remind you, uh, me. But yes. certainly the count my vote, mm-hmm. the count my vote effort will is well funded. I think it will get on the ballot. I think the Medicaid expansion uh, uh, proposal will get on the ballot. Uh, the our schools now, which would raise uh, taxes, the income tax and sales tax, to provide a seven hundred and fifty million dollars or so, seven hundred million for education. I think they are well funded and they will get on the ballot. In fact, I understand they're already close to gathering the number of signatures they need. Their boundaries, you know, I I, I don't know their uh, how much money they have and whether they will. Uh, what's the other one? Oh, medical marijuana. Yes, that certainly is very popular with with the public. I think if it gets on the ballot, it will win. I, I don't know the capacity they have to gather signatures, so the sufficient number of signatures. I wonder if you could uh, maybe handicap a race or two, uh, assuming Ben McAdams is the Democratic uh, candidate. If he gets through the primary, uh, Ben McAdams versus uh, Mia Love. What do you what do you think of that race? Well, that'll be a very good race, very interesting race. <clears throat> uh, two good candidates, uh, and the most recent polls show that it's it's close. Uh, Mia Love is a few points ahead, but uh, uh, she's certainly concerned about it. Her her campaign and campaign manager are are very concerned uh, about this. Ben McAdams is a very well-liked uh, Salt Lake County mayor, of course, and and uh, relates well with with both Republicans and, and Democrats. He's a very moderate, uh, mainstream Democrat and uh, a very pleasant personality, and people like him. Some people have said he's pretty young and is he is he tough enough uh, to go to Congress? Uh, I think he's demonstrated uh, a willingness to do difficult things. He was the one, of course, who took all of the arrows for uh, selecting additional homeless resource centers uh, in in different parts of the county. Most of them are still in Salt Lake City, but there's one in South Salt Lake, uh, and he took a lot of heat. For that, but he was courageous in in uh, making that, those proposals and in moving forward with them. Uh, some people might recall that he actually went incognito uh, for a few days, lived as a homeless person to to help him understand what uh, was happening there. And he didn't do it, I, I don't think, as a just a publicity 
uh, statement. He didn't even tell anybody he did it, except his very close uh, uh, friends and family. Uh, and, and, and it only came out a number of months later that he had done that. So it's going to be a very uh, interesting race. And a part of the equation there is for Utah Republicans, and Republicans still dominate that district, uh, is going to be you know, as nice a guy as, as uh, Ben McAdams is, and as much as we like him, we want to send another vote to Washington, who another person to Washington who will vote for Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House. And do we want, uh, if, 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 the, if it's very close and whether, Republic, whether Democrats retake the House, do we want to send our, our person there that will make that uh, difference? And so... So uh, do you support the Republican agenda or the Democratic agenda? That will be that, Those will be arguments that the Mia Love campaign will make very strongly. One other quick thing, I'm rambling on here, but part, part of the, the Republicans are, are, are saying that Ben McAdams, because he does not live, he does not actually live in that fourth district, uh, that he could have chosen any district to run in. And he did choose a district uh, that is represented by a by a, a black uh, a female, uh, Utah's only minority member of Congress. And so, why is he picking on her? Uh, that may be something that comes up in the race as well. And obviously, he he has seen that uh, her as the most vulnerable Republican because he could have chosen to run in any of the congressional districts. So it'll be very interesting race. A lot of different dynamics going on there. You just joined us. We're talking politics uh, on the program today, wide-ranging, state and national. And we had with us in the first half of the hour, additionally, uh, Frank Pignadelli, the Democrat. We have with us Republican LeVar Webb. They jointly write a Deseret News column. And that's where I want to go next, LeVar Webb. Um, how do we solve the, what seems to be increasing polarization? Let me frame it this way. Um, Governor Herbert, in his State of the State address, pointed to Utah. He said, look at us. We, uh, you know, Washington's broken. Here in Utah, the legislature actually works. Uh, so I wonder what your your view is of, you know, skeptics might say, well, of course it works in Utah because it's all Republicans. Everybody agrees. Um, or, or is there is there something uh, about Utah that's, that's working here that's uh, in terms of polarization? Well, very good question, uh, and things do seem to work uh, fairly well in Utah with the minority party being uh, having being a, being able to sponsor bills, for example, and get them passed. Uh, the vast majority, and there, there are studies done on this, the vast majority of legislation in the in the Utah legislature is supported by both parties, uh, and a, a Democrat can. Uh, sponsor a bill, and they can get Republican support, and they can get it passed. And that doesn't happen in Congress very often at all, where the minority party, uh, a member of the minority party, is able to get anything through. Now, that may be, as, as you suggested, that Republicans have such a large majority here that they're able to be sort of magnanimous and uh, and say, you know, sure, the, we'll let the Democrats sponsor some. And, and some of the bills that Democrats have sponsored have been very meaningful, very important bills, and, with, and they've passed them with Republican support. So maybe it's just, uh, you, know, you know, Republicans know they have the power, and so they don't, they don't have to 
put their their foot on the success of the of the Democrats. Uh, so it uh, there's also an element that actually Ben McAdams has been involved in uh, uh, new urbanism, uh, and that is that, that a couple of uh, of experts, uh, academics have written have written more than one book on the success of local governments, particularly cities and large cities, and and uh, Ben McAdams hosted uh, some of them in in the last week or so, and they talked about the successes of what is happening locally compared to what is happening at the federal level, and uh, there's a big disconnect there. And of course, my my, and, and my question about that is, uh, since Ben is the uh, mayor of a very successful county and he's doing a lot of good things here, why would he want to leave these successes and the good things he can do here and go to a very dysfunctional federal government? Uh, so I don't, I don't see the. Uh, again, I think the parties at the federal level are so polarized, and the top leaders are. And going in such diametrically different directions that I don't, I just don't see that uh, changing anytime soon. And I think we are going to have to focus and rely more on local governments and state governments to provide some sanity, uh, because I don't, I don't see the federal government getting getting its act together anytime soon. I'm uh, reading a, an article here on utahpolicy.com. Put in a plug for the uh, Lavar Web here. We have uh, is a publisher of this. Uh, Online publication, utahpolicy.com. Uh, Medicaid expansion. Headline, Medicaid expansion proposal will cover up to 60,000 Utahns focused on preventative care. I'll read the first sentence here. Medicaid expansion, an issue long thought long dead on Utah's Capitol Hill, is rising from the grave this session thanks to a change in rules from the Trump administration. What are the prospects, do you think, that uh, Medicaid expansion in some form passes? Yeah, I haven't been very close to that. I actually hadn't even read that article yet, uh, written by our legislative reporters. Uh, is that the? Does it mention uh, Representative Spendlove? Yes, his bill? yes. This is the Representative yeah, Spendlove's okay. bill. Yeah. Yes, and so uh, he is he is sponsoring legislation that would expand uh, Medicaid coverage. As you recall, there's a there's a gap. Uh, uh, very very poor people are eligible for Medicaid today. Uh, and people who make a certain amount of money and qualify for the Obamacare subsidies. But in between those groups, there is a, they're, they're mostly working people that are only making $2,000 a month or whatever, and they're not eligible for Medicaid or the subsidies. And so they're in this gap. Uh, and so this Medicaid expansion is all about helping those people <clears throat> find health care uh, insurance, Medicaid uh, insurance uh, uh, so that they can get get health care, uh, and so the so Spendlove's bill, as you said, would cover an additional sixty thousand people. There are still another about forty thousand people that are in the gap. The Healthy Utah ballot proposal that uh, will be on the ballot would 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 fully expand Medicaid, so it would cover those entire a hundred thousand or slightly more people that are in the gap. And so if the legislature does pass this bill and they uh, in in some ways they could pass it to kind of thwart the ballot proposal and we'll see that with a number of these ballot proposals they may try to increase it, uh, funding for education uh, so that voters will be less likely to vote for the our schools now 
proposal. Uh, so I, I don't know what the prospects are for the Spend Loves Medicaid expansion bill in the past. They have not, legislature has not been willing to vote for something that's that large. As you recall, Governor Herbert had his Healthy Utah proposal that would have expanded Medicaid uh, more broadly even, I think, than Spend Loves bill. The legislature rejected that. So we'll have to see kind of the interplay there between Spend Loves bill and the uh, the ballot proposal that would expand Medicaid further, but I, it does appear that there is going to be an appetite to uh, do something. Most other states have expanded <clears throat> Medicaid, and I should mention that because Utah has not, we have missed out on $800 million a year in funding in taxes that Utahns are paying to the federal government for this program, and we are not bringing that money back. So we're missing out on literally $800 million a year, which is a lot of money because we have not expanded Medicaid. I want to return to uh, an issue that's uh, now more uh, being debated in the national level, has been debated in Utah, but now at the national level, immigration. Um, Utah tends to have a kind of a more moderate perspective. I think Utah Republicans, I should say, perhaps influenced from the LDS Church um, in fact, I saw an article, um, the LDS leaders uh, came out and supported the Dreamers. What do you think's going to happen, specifically with the, with the Dreamers, and then the overall framework for for immigration? Yeah, I think uh, uh, Utah has had a more moderate uh, position on immigration than, than certainly the Trump administration and, and some other states. Uh, uh, as you recall, the Utah leaders passed the Utah Compact uh, uh, some time ago that dealt with immigration and was a was a more mainstream position. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is uh, I mean, this is again as I mentioned before, this is one area that I really disagree with the president on. I think uh, that immigration has been good for this country, and we're all descendants of immigrants, literally and. That has, uh, while populations of many other countries are declining and, and causing problems, population decline is a big uh, problem in, that in, in various parts of the world. The United States continues to grow, and I think uh, uh, immigrants uh, add to our economic dynamism and, and so forth. Uh, so I, the, the president of, of late has, uh, uh, they, they have, made a proposal that seems to be more uh, welcoming of immigrants, uh, and he will outline that in his State of the Union speech, uh, of course, in, res- in response, or uh, he, Trump will want a lot of money for his uh, border wall, some $24 billion or, or whatever it is, uh, and it's not just all for the wall, it's for or personnel and so forth. There are a lot of things related to that. So he has signaled that he will would be more. He would deal with the, the dreamers and, in fact, increase the number of dreamers uh, eligible to become eventually citizens in response. In uh, if if he's able to get this money for the wall. So we'll know a whole lot more about that uh, uh, after his State of the Union speech. I if the Republicans were smart and if Trump was smart. They would compromise with the Democrats. They would pass comprehensive immigration reform <clears throat> that makes sense. 
and then they would count that as a as a major accomplishment. And if he if he has tax reform, if he has a good economy, if they're able to deal with comprehensive immigration reform, which no other administration has been able to do for for many years, you know, he would have a pretty good uh, list of accomplishments going into the these uh, midterm elections. But uh, so we'll we'll know more about that after his speech tomorrow or tonight. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, the speech is tonight, State of the Union Address. We'll have that here on Utah Public Radio, 7 o'clock uh, tonight. Hope you'll join us for that. We just have about uh, three minutes uh, left, Laura Webb, and I, I don't want the occasion to pass without uh, getting your comments on a legend in journalism uh, here in Utah who recently passed, age 95, Bill Smart, uh, former editor of the Deseret News, so your former editor of that publication, um, and I've been learning about him. I, you know, I was aware of him, but uh, some of those accomplishments uh, preceded me being aware of uh, of of, uh, of things here in Utah. Uh, but one of the people in this article I'm reading from the day, the uh, in this case, the Salt Lake Tribune, uh, credits um, Bill Smart with being instrumental in uh, making Capitol Reef a national park, uh, bringing investigative journalism, strengthening investigative journalism at the Deseret News. What uh, what were your experiences with Bill Smart? Well, he was a, a terrific man and a consummate journalist. Uh, he took the craft very seriously. Uh, he, w- he was a mentor to me. <laughs> he uh, appointed me as city editor, and and later on I became managing editor with his support. Uh, so he was, uh, he was really a, a good to me, and I appreciated his leadership and, and example. Uh, he <clears throat> was, it was interesting because... He tended to be a little more liberal in his environmental leanings and political leanings than one would expect of the Deseret News, and so there was a little bit of tension uh, because of that. But uh, he enjoyed the support of the church leaders that, that at that time oversaw the, the Deseret News, and, and but he was a terrific leader and a good mentor to many, many young journalists, myself included. Um, I want to read this from Pat Shea, who's a uh, Salt Lake City attorney, uh, been prominent in Democratic politics. Uh, Shea says it's ironic that with the release of the movie The Post about great journalism at a time when great journalism is being attacked as fake news, that we now have the passing of one of the truly great journalists. Uh, just a couple minutes left. You, you, you're, uh, you've worked in journalism. You've worked in politics. Um, now publisher of Utah Policy Daily. Uh, what do you think about the state of journalism uh, t- today when some newspapers are failing, but uh, I guess there are opportunities online. Yeah, we can have a, we can spend a whole hour talking of this because journalism has changed so dramatically with the advent of the Internet and the instant uh, news and the 24-hour news cycle and the ability to, to, to get news everywhere and everywhere, some of it unreliable and fake news. Uh, 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 there's no question with the Russians even creating news on on uh, online and on Facebook and so forth and so uh, and and the decline of uh, traditional newspapers and uh, the challenges of revenue uh, producing revenue and and so forth so it is a new world and unfortunately I think in the journalism world it's kind of followed the political world with with uh, more divisions and, and uh, uh, ideological, uh, where, where newspapers in the past really tried to, and, and other uh, media as well, really tried to, 
to uh, be fair and balanced uh, uh, more and more uh, news news outlets and and especially the the new online outlets are aligned on one one side of the ideal ideology or others and so you have to pick and choose very carefully uh, you have to pick and choose those that you read and listen to and and individual reporters and columnists and and so forth as well and and decide for yourself who and and read widely as well don't just read one source or you're going to get a, a skewed uh, uh, with what's going on in the world so it is a very interesting lots of changes and and they're going to continue to accelerate yeah, you're right. Uh, we we have had hour long discussions, probably in the future as well, on this on this topic. Uh, we're at the end of our hour today, and we uh, thank uh, you very much. Uh, Lavar Webb is a Republican. He's a political consultant and lobbyist. Previously, he was policy deputy to Governor Mike Levitt and Deseret News managing editor. He's publisher of Utah Policy Daily. You can find them at utahpolicy.com. Previously, we had with us a Democrat Frank Pignanelli, who's a Salt Lake attorney, lobbyist, and political advisor, served in the Utah House of Representatives six of those years as minority leader. Um, so look forward to uh, you and uh, Frank's uh, columns in the Deseret News. And uh, LeVar Webb, thank you so much. Okay. Happy to be here. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. Another another reminder, 7 o'clock tonight, uh, the President's State of the Union address, the Democratic response, and uh, analysis from NPR. 7 o'clock tonight. Thanks for listening today. On May 6, 2010, high-speed trading bots sent the market into freefall. This market is dropping precipitously. We won't even start trading here on this. 79 Several hundred billion dollars vanished. Information has a speed. Like nine, seven, nine seconds. 6,000 miles per second. 50 milliseconds. On the next Radio Lab, we ask, is that speed leaving us behind or leading us to glory? Join us this Saturday at noon on Utah Public Radio. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. Heard on KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan. Also heard online at upr.org.